Today is the beginning of a three-week series dealing with addiction. Uh, I know we have uh, some folks here today who uh, knew about this. It's been uh, briefly advertised or talked about on TV, and I'll be with uh, Daytime Tri-Cities Wednesday talking about it more. Today will be live streaming. Next two Sundays after this, will not be live streaming. It will be shown later that afternoon. Uh, and the reason being is uh, what we're dealing with is going to be painful for some people. Many people will be in denial about it. Uh, but we want as many who are interested to be here and not just watching uh, at home. Uh, I mean, like I said, we'll show it later in the day. Uh, but we need, we need you here because... As we get deeper and deeper, uh, some people will be very uncomfortable and actually need to be here in the house of God. Addiction takes uh, many phases. Usually when we talk about addiction, we think about alcohol or drugs. Addiction takes all kinds of phases. It can be addiction to pornography. It can be addiction to television. It can be addiction uh, to your cell phone, to your iPad, to your computer. Uh, it can be addiction, and one of the largest addictions right now is people who are uh, shopping online. And what do you think? Well, that's an addiction. Yeah, let me explain to you why. So many times people who will buy things, for example, I know a lady right now who is a compulsive buyer on Amazon. She has packages she hasn't even opened. But what happens is it gives the buyer the same sensation of anticipation as when a child was expecting something at Christmas time. And so that emotions, the endorphins and such that flow as a result of that type of excitement becomes addicted to itself. You can be addicted to somebody else. In fact, that's called codependency. We can be dependent upon a drug, on, a, on a, alcohol, on any number of things. But you can be codependent. For example, there's approximately 15 million addicts in the United States. You take any single addict and it affects the life of four other people. So you're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of 60-some thousand people who are either dependent or codependent. It's amazing when some people are able to shake, let's, let's use alcohol or drugs. Let's say that they're able to, uh, to stop participating in those things. It's amazing how many families, after the addict is no longer demonstrating addictive lifestyle, how many families break up after that? And there's a reason for that. Because the codependent family have for so long, whether they realize or not, have helped enable the addict to do what they do that they didn't even realize that they were dependent on the addict themselves. When we uh, look at all the uh, types of addictions, you know, when I think of one of the most addictive personalities I've ever seen, Michael Jackson. He was addicted to surgeries. He was addicted to drugs. He, he exemplified addiction to the umpteenth detail. Addiction itself killed him. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, you may have a quote-unquote secret addiction, but it can 
People who are workaholics. See, this is an interesting answer. The workaholic actually gets praised for what he or she does. Even though it is destructive to family and friends and ultimately to your health. So many people who are in the hospital because of uh, stomach ulcers and nervous situations, anxiety ridden, you take pills for antidepressants, all this, that, and the other, can be a result of being a workaholic. Addiction has the same basic nature. Uh, you may be asking yourself, what causes addiction? Well, there's several areas, but I, I want to uh, go over the, a clinic down in Texas that I think is one of the most, uh, uh, the best at dealing with addiction. It's called Meyer Clinic. They're, I don't agree with everything, but they have a, a, a biblical base and, and Jay Adams, who is a tremendous counselor, he developed what was called Neuthetic Counseling. Neuthetic Counseling takes from nuance, which means the law or the word. The answer for addiction, and this may sound boastful, but what I plan on teaching today, next Sunday and Sunday after that, that I can guarantee that if the addict will apply these things, that they will be free from addiction. Now, let me explain something to you. Just because you get somebody to change their behavior does not mean that they are free from addiction. Just because you get the alcoholic to stop drinking doesn't mean they're actually free from it. We know that Al Lewis Huxley said that I can do everything that a uh, Christian organization can do to keep the alcoholic from drinking, but he discovered that he had to stay with that individual 24 hours a day. He literally had to hold on to that individual's arm to keep him from going to a bar. Most people are familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous. Bill Wilson, who was the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you may be familiar with the 12-step program, uh, there's a lot about him that people don't realize. I know that he tried so hard to establish a way that the alcoholic could be free. But you see, Bill Wilson had originally been involved in the early 1930s with a group called the Oxford Group. This is a Christian organization that was teaching biblical standards on how to set the addict free. And when we talk about the addict, we're talking predominantly alcoholism at this time. Uh, Bill decided to uh, strike out and do his, his own type of therapy and develop Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, the 12-step program has been... been uh, embraced by not only alcoholics, but drug anonymous, eaters over anonymous. Uh, been adopted, the 12-step program has been adopted in so many different ways. But let me explain something to you. The 12-step program can be successful on getting the addict to be separated from that which he's addicted to, but it doesn't necessarily deliver the addiction. Bill Wilson, the founder, as I said, of Alcoholics Anonymous, <laughs> he had met Al Lewis Huxley. And he was having success on teaching other people one-on-one -on -one to be free from alcoholism. But what a lot of people don't realize is Al Lewis Huxley had turned Bill Wilson on to LSD. So he wasn't drinking alcohol no more, but he was using a mind-altering hallucinogenic in its place. So you see, he still had the addiction. And not only that, but Bill Wilson had quite a problem with infidelity. 
You see, he still had that addictive nature. Just because he wasn't drinking alcohol doesn't mean that he was free from the addictive nature. What I want to do is deal biblically. In fact, Darlene and Russell have put the sign down here at the road, the Bible, the owner's manual to the Christian. I don't know if that's exactly the way you have it worded, but that's the gist of it. And so if we believe, and I'm going to get into this just a little longer, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the inspired and narrative found the Word of God, then this is the owner's manual to make us hit on all cylinders and be the productive child of God that he would have us to be. Look at closely what causes addiction. Everybody is born with the need to love and to be loved. Everybody. In fact, I never will forget years ago, we had a young lady that's going to church here, and her baby wasn't growing. It wasn't maturing, it wasn't putting on weight. It was uh, the doctors were bum-fuzzled, there was no medical reason why this baby wasn't developing as it should. It just so happened that one particular doctor had an idea what was going on. He talked to this young mother and he said, uh, how often do you pick your baby up? Well, when I feed it, when I change it. <coughs> do you at any time pick up your baby and cuddle it and coo with it? And, no, I just went and need something. It is determined that a baby will literally die if it's not shown and demonstrated love, that it will literally stunt its growth. We are born with the need to love and to be loved. And if we don't have that, let's just say, I want, again, to draw from Menneth Meyer, I don't agree with everything. They use the illustration that we have what's called a love tank. And so the ghosts from our past may be such that our love tank is not as full as it should be. Now, here's where I disagree with them. They, they to take their example, uh, and I'm putting this in my own words, if you don't have a leave it to beaver lifestyle with a ward and June cleaver, your love tank's going to be empty. Well, I don't know anybody who's got a ward and June cleaver home life. You know, for, for example, my, my wife, uh, her dad was a Mason Dixon uh, tanker driver uh, for 30 some years till he retired, but he was on the road all the time. He couldn't be there to, to show the kids and the family uh, daily love, home by 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock and have supper. So everybody, to a certain extent, will not, if you take Minneth Myers' perception, will not have a full, quote-unquote, love tank. So why do some people look for fulfillment in other areas while others don't? And I, I tell you what, after all the years of study that I have done in pastoral counseling, the 45 years as a full-time pastor, I think it's inevitable that in reality, some people are just stronger than other people. Some people have a better grasp on the reality of life than other people. And there are other reasons why people become uh, addicts. For example, uh, it could be peer pressure. Uh, I have never fully understood peer pressure. I mean, I have been affected by peer pressure, but my dad smoked, my mom smoked, but I have never had a desire to smoke. 
Now, one time I did have a desire to chew tobacco. And I bought me a bag of beech nut. Mom and Dad owned the store up here in Boone's Creek. I bought a bag of beech nut. And I watched those old farmers down there at the store, and I wadded up a big mustache, stuck it in my cheek, and I started chomping. All of a sudden, we had the lights to go off at the store. And the phone rang. I picked up the phone, and it was Mom. She said, what are you eating? I said, nothing. Why? She said, you've got something in your mouth. Well, it's at the back. And all of a sudden, while I was talking to Mom, what I had swallowed decided to come up. And I ran into the bathroom, and the lights were off. And needless to say, not only did I have the initial relieving myself of what was in my stomach, but when the lights come back on, I had to go in there and clean up what I couldn't see where it was going, and it started all. It's a process. <laughs> it's a terrible cycle. And I, my buddies and such, say, "Here's where I just didn't understand it. You have to keep doing it until you get hooked on it. You have to keep chewing tobacco." Till you get past the sickness of it. I had people years later tell me the same way the booze. I said, man, that liquor is strong. I said, well, you just have to keep doing it. <laughs> I mean, think of the logic of that. But people will do that because they feel the pressure that if you want to be a man, you've got to do this, that, and the other. Some men have been brought up in environments that if you don't chase women, you're not a man. You know, and so there's oftentimes this peer pressure that will cause somebody to do things, be involved in something that normally they may not be interested in, but they're encouraged to do it so much to the point that they have a physiological as well as a psychological need for that which causes the addictive nature, whether it be a chemical such as alcohol or drugs, which are both of them drug, or whether it be certain type of behavior. That we can have the pressure on us. But now listen, as a child of God, we should not feel that peer pressure. Here's why. Let me take it one step further before I give you the scriptural verse. Sometimes people become addicts because of their environment. You'd be surprised people I've talked to over the years that have had addictive uh, problems. And they said, well, Vic, you got to understand my dad was an alcoholic. My mom was an alcoholic. I guess it was just in my genes to follow that. And I looked at him and I said, Bullcrap, you have a built-in excuse. You have a built-in excuse for what you're doing. God's Word tells us if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We know that, that God's Word tells us very clearly that when he saves us, he has adopted us, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, in Romans chapter 8. So if Jesus Christ is our Father, now it may be true in the past that your environment, the peer pressure, that may be true. But I, can, I, I firmly believe over the years of counseling and years of study that I've done, I firmly believe that if a person is genuinely born again, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, you must be born again that you can be free from whatever the addiction you have. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. But I believe it, and I'll tell you why I believe it. Because God's Word says it. Let's look over here in Romans chapter 7. We'll jump in about verse 15. 
of Romans chapter 7. Paul writes, For that which I do, I allow not. For what would what, what that I do? Did I say Romans chapter 7? Okay, okay. I would that do I not, but what I hate, that I do. Look at that. Paul says, the thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. I hate even what it is. What? Am I having trouble? It's Romans chapter 7, verse 16 now. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Now, now notice right here, this is very important. In my flesh, in my carnality, you cannot overcome addiction. Remember what I was sharing with you with Alcoholics Anonymous with Bill Wilson? All he did was switch addiction. My uncle J.C., my dad, uh, who was brilliant, said that J.C. was the smartest one in the family, but he became a horrible alcoholic. He moved to Mexico because he realized he could live like a king on the, the a military pension check that he got down there. And then he developed diabetes and uh, realized that diabetes, alcohol turns to sugar. He couldn't do it no more. So what did he do? He switched to pot and a few other things. So he still was the addict. He just switched what the substance was. For to will is present with me. In other words, people want to quit addiction. But how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not. But the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, in other words, addiction, to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with his mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Man, that is a powerful description of addiction. He said, the very thing that I hate, the very thing that I would disavow, I end up doing. Who shall deliver me from this? And all of a sudden, the epiphany, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. If you're adopted, it's no longer your earthly carnal father that will dictate how you will act. You have now Jesus Christ as your father. So whether it be peer pressure or whether it be environment, there's a third reason for addiction. And I see this in our church perhaps more than just about any other thing. Self-medication. Self-medication. We have a lot of veterans over the years. We have a lot of people who've come out of horrible situations. See, once it's been said, I'll never forget Mr. James Eaton one time. He said, years, years ago when the church basically started, he said, Vicki, you know what I have discerned about Fountain of Life? He said, I see so many people come to church here and you baptize so many people. Then after a year or two, I don't see them. He said, I think that I know the reason for that. I said, why is that? He said, Fountain of Life is a spiritual emergency room to Johnson City. I said, man, you know what? I think you're right. So many people come here and get saved or they can start their life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. 
The Lord takes away to share what they have. Almost like an Alcoholics Anonymous where one alcoholic will help another. So when, when we look at the self-medication, we start to understand the process of addiction anyway. Matt, I was going to have, maybe I can do this for second service, I going to have that chalkboard down here, but I'll, maybe we can do that for second service. Let's look at the reason for addiction itself. Let's say that perhaps you did not have the love as a child you should have had, for whatever reason. Sometimes I've seen children who were the adult of the family, particularly if there's alcoholic parents, that they have a lost childhood. I see that in made reference a while ago about Michael Jackson. He had a lost childhood. He had a dad who demanded perfection out of him, demanded this, that, and the other, who made fun of the way his nose looked. His dad did. He was a prime suspect for deep addiction, which his life demonstrated. His, if we use the of Meyer situation, his love tank was pagan on E. And so as a result, people who, if you will, their love tank, is low or unempty, will spend their life looking for something or somebody. They will become dependent upon a substance or dependent upon a personality. In fact, I love this that uh, Dr. Bennett comes up with. He said, over all the years that he has been a physician dealing with these things, he said, you can have a business, you can have a, a convention, if you will, Let's say that 20% of the people in there uh, have a, a low love tank, let's say. Let's say 20% let's say of the people in there uh, have lived, uh, lost childhood or, or are going to be a, a, a prospect to dependency or codependency. He said it's the most amazing thing. He said a person that is in that area, there may be one other person in that convention who's the same way, and he said they will find each other. They will find each other. Women who will say their dad was alcoholic will turn around and say, I'll never want to marry anybody who is like my dad. And nine times out of ten, they'll do the very same. It may not be the alcohol, but they'll still have that addictive nature. I've talked to people who maybe had several marriages and thought they were getting somebody else like us. Look, you need to find out what it is that's destructive that you are addicted to, codependent upon, even though the package may look different, even though their dependency may appear to be different, it's still the same dependent, and you are the codependent on that individual. So most, many of us here have some type of addiction. And here, here's where I separate with Menneth Meyer. I don't know any of us that have had a perfect Ward and June Cleaver childhood. So I think most people are looking for something. And they think sometimes it's in an individual. This individual will make me complete. This individual will make my life whole. I can't live without that individual. That makes a good song, but it's dangerous when it comes to the reality of life. You see, we are instructed to find our love tank filled, get this, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 22, 37 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the second commandment is like to it, to love your neighbors yourself. That's why I'm convinced that all of us, whatever we're looking for, the self-medicated person, which 
I'm going to say, is an element in all addicts. You see, an addict can have any one of these three main categories, or all of them. But one concept that I've seen in an addict is this. Well, sir, here's what I was going to use in trouble. Let's start with pain. Pain, hurt, unfulfillment, loneliness, pain. And so what do we do with that? Nobody wants to carry that pain around. So you'll find something. It may be booze. It may be drugs. Maybe somebody else. It may be even people who are addicted to working out in gyms to the point that they destroy their joints and, and, and body. It'll be anything that will give them a flow of endorphins that will give them some type of high or pleasantry or an epiphany that will dull or numb the pain that they experience in life. All of addiction in some form or other is an escape for the pain, the hurt, the agony, the loneliness that somebody feels. And they are looking for something. And they become a suspect for addiction. We know that uh, drinking beer is a slow process to anesthetizing yourself. Time of anesthesia. You got five minutes. Five minutes. So I'm addicted to the clock. Okay. <laughs> liquor, like the old saying goes, liquor's quicker. You know why I say that? Because it is. It'll get you to that point of being dealing with an anesthesia for your hurt of pain quicker. And if that don't work anymore, something that'll really take you there in a moment is heroin. Power of heroin, however, will change your physiology. And so a horrible or a truly bad alcoholic or a heroin addict don't need to quit cold turkey. You can die. You need to check with the physician. But you can be delivered from the addiction totally and completely if you utilize the nathetic principle or basis, biblical basis, if you will, that we're going to explore next Sunday and the Sunday after. But when you realize that escapism, whether it's buying stuff, because you get that excitement, you see your mind's not on the problem, not on the pain anymore. Whether, whether it's, it's any, if there's, as Paul said, as, as Paul said, in fact, I want you to look at this. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to. See something. I know we've got just a few minutes, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's jump in at verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. And he gives a list here. Neither fornicators, which means sexual sins, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You see that? And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, 
you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Look at verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient or helpful or the best. All things are lawful for me, look at this, but I will not be brought under the power of any. A lot of things, even there are good things that you can be doing that you become addicted to and be destructive. As I said before, workaholism is perhaps the, 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 the one addiction that people get pat on the back because they work hard and they put in more hours, but yet it's a destructive, a destructive addiction that will wreck a family. Remember where I said there's 15 million addicts? And with every individual addict, there's four people who lodge the infected. The children, therefore, will have empty tanks of love, if you will, to the dad who works all the time and don't have time for their child. And so that child will grow up looking for something to fill that tank. Uh, it seems like time's flown by today. And uh, there's so many, I want to get to the point of uh, sharing with you the answers and how to deal with it. Uh, for example, there's the various types that, uh, that the world uses to treat addiction. For example, there's the dual therapy analysis, there is the group therapy, there is the skill therapy or life transformation therapy. There are so many different therapies to deal with addictions. But the one that I know will work is the new thing or the Bible Center Deliverance from Addiction. So Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we'll get to part two of dealing with addiction. Amen? Amen. Let's stand with it, please. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to your holy presence. Indeed, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by you. Father, I pray if anyone here today knows you not as the Lord and the Savior of their life, that they will pray this prayer about to pray. Dear Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart and save me. I receive you as my Lord and my God and my personal Savior. Holy Spirit, please fill me to overflowing. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, while Jane is praying this invitation, please come to the front of the church.
I embraced predominantly synthetic counseling. I can see the Minerith Meyer, but I realized I am convinced over 45 years of being a full-time pastor, what and where are the answers, the program that will definitely work. And I know that's a, a, a big statement to make, but I know it. I know it. Uh, next Sunday will not be live streaming because if you're watching and this hits at your home, we want you here, either first service or second service, next Sunday and the third Sunday as well. Father, thank you so very much for allowing us to be here today. Please keep us in our coming in and going out and let us bring glory to you in thought, word, and deed. For these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name and all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.